The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 70 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and not that my president past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to or resort to my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news on their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest interesting news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub. So last week's episode with the FSEC second-ranked cybersecurity professional in the world, Chuck Brooks, was exciting because it unequivocally had the largest social media response to any episode in Task Force 7 history. I mean, it was crazy, even though it was one of the less aggressive promotions that we've done. And I guess, you know, we promoted the show once on, on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter. I didn't get to Instagram yet, but sometimes we'll promote a show six or seven times in a week on each one of these platforms, but we didn't have to because the show just went viral with hundreds of shares, hundreds, of, it was in the hundreds, let's put it that way, and so it wasn't likes or comments, we're talking shares, and so for us, that was fantastic. I mean, you know, uh, I just want to thank all of you for helping get the word out on Task Force 7 Radio. It was really awesome. I was truly humbled to see how many people were excited to share episode number 69 in the Task Force 7 brand with their hard-earned professional networks. And it was a classic example of the positive power of social media, for sure. So thanks for so much for doing that. We always appreciate the likes and comments, folks, but you know, keep them coming. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions about the show, especially, I, I take them all to heart, but keep in mind, uh, those shares, I mean, that's the ultimate compliment one can get from all of you listening right now. And because I share, unless there's some kind of negative connotation or comment associated with it, which I didn't see any at all, is an endorsement of the show to the point someone is willing to engage their hard-earned professional network with Task Force 7 posts. And I think that is great. That's, that's you know, all you got to do is simply hit that share button. I know it's easy on social media. They make it really easy, but it's great to help us continually grow the show. And uh, I think people are really selective to do that, though. I think people just don't, you know, see us, you know, see something they like and just, you know, I'm going to go ahead and share that. They really don't do that. I don't find that at all on social media. So to have so many shares was truly awesome. Please keep sharing the post, folks. I really appreciate it. We love it. And thanks so much for believing and supporting Task Force 7 Radio. 
Great show last week. We found out why Chuck Brooks is consistently ranked one of the top cybersecurity influencers in the world, that's for sure. He's a dynamic speaker. He knows his business right off the cuff. And he's engulfed himself into this space in a way that is truly unique. And I think he's just engaged with cybersecurity professionals around the world on so many different levels. We had a lot of fun last week on the show. And unless, you know, the person is a repeat guest, the question that I like to ask the most on this show to our guests is, you know, how did you end up getting into cybersecurity? Like, how did this happen to you? How did you end up so successful in one of the most demanding markets in, in the industry? And he said, look, you know, there, he had just a, a lot of interesting things to say from his, the transition that he had from the government to the private sector. Um, I mean, it was just fascinating. And I, I, look, I like to ask this question because the answer is always different with these people. I mean, these, these are the best uh, tier one professionals in the industry, and they always have these different answers, and it's so unique. It's super interesting to hear about the career choices that some of the most successful people in the business have made that have elevated them to the positions they're in today. And the biggest reason I ask the question is because our audience obviously loves to hear these stories. I, I, get, I get comments all the time, and I think a lot of the reason that people listen is because they want to hear these types of stories. It, I feel that we have a lot of hardworking people out there who listen to this show. And when they hear the stories, the struggles, uh, the challenges that other folks face, that it's, some of it's happenings by pure circumstance that occurs. Sometimes it's luck. You know, they're in a certain place at a certain time and they, and they meet someone, but they're prepared to always, they're always prepared to seize the opportunity when it presents itself. That's a common, uh, I guess, a common theme to some of these stories. It really helps to properly frame things for them. The bottom line, it's relatable, right? People can relate to these life experiences. So we asked Chuck Brooks how he ended up in the cybersecurity space and his answers and experiences that he described were really just super interesting. We also asked him about some of the emerging threats we are seeing in the industry right now around IoT and mobile and cloud and even third parties as well. So how some of the newer technologies are being implemented into these environments like robotics and and things like that that are really just introducing new risk in, into the technology environments that professionals aren't thinking about. And so we asked him about that too. So you're not going to want to miss what he has to say about that. So if you haven't heard the show yet, take a listen when you get a chance. Tune into last week's episode of Task Force 7 Radio. That's episode number 69 with the principal market growth strategist for General Dynamics Mission Systems for Cybersecurity and the IFSEC number two ranked global cybersecurity influencer in the world for 2018. Mr. Chuck Brooks. Make, make sure you check out TF7 Podcast Library on your favorite social media platform because, well, we just dropped January's Encore episode a couple of weeks ago and the episode just rocked <laughs> the, the, the numbers last month. I mean, it crushed, you know, a lot of the other episodes. It was crazy. That, and, you know, I, we, I love to, love to post these episodes because I picked one of my favorites, something that's really – I think resonates with the, uh, with the audience. We've got, this is our 70th episode now. So you have, you know, quite a bit in the library and, and I hope to soon have hundreds. And I think that's fantastic. We take some of these that are a really bit more interesting and we post them once a month. So the episode is called why organizations can't patch their networks with Kareem Tuba, the CEO of Kenneth security. Um, it was an incredible episode. Like I said, it, it did it better. It did better this time than it did when it first aired, <laughs> which is amazing. And so the encore have a big hit uh, or are a big hit with our audience and it's been a lot of fun posting them and watching the reactions. So 
This particular episode, like I said, is one of my favorites. And Kareem is one of the smartest guys in the cybersecurity business. And patching vulnerabilities is a t in, in a timely fashion, and it's speed, and it's you know the operations, and it's the the efficiency of your operations and your VTM capabilities. And everyone knows flexibility and agility and speed are key. Everyone needs these in their operations functions, right? And everybody's interested in how this can be done. And to hear his thoughts on it were, you know, truly fascinating. So everyone tunes into an episode like this. And I think that's the key. And no one's immune to this problem. And when you hear Kareem talk about it, you know, speaking this common lexicon of risk, I think it just makes so much sense. So that's Kareem Tuba, the CEO of Kenneth Security, talking about why organizations can't patch their networks on January's Encore episode of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us live right now on Voice America, or maybe just someone sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 Radio episodes on playback. It's still the most common question I get, even after posting 69 of these episodes so far. And it's probably because our audience is always growing and we're always acquiring new listeners, which is a good thing. So I want to make sure everybody knows where to go. One thing I haven't told you yet is Task Force 7 Radio has a new website. That's right. We got a new website. I've been giving out the new website in some of the most recent episodes, but I haven't really announced it to everyone to say, hey, look, we got a new site and we have a new domain too. So it's really, it's not the old domain. I don't have a redirect set up yet to go from the new, new domain from the old domain, but I will have one uh, shortly, hopefully this week. Um, it's just taking a little bit longer than I, than I, than I uh, wanted to. It was real busy. We're staying real busy in this business, right? So you can reach Task Force 7 Radio by going to tf7radio.com. Now, the old website was taskforce7radio.com. So this is a slight variation. I think it's a little bit easier to type. Uh, and definitely, we have the right brand uh, branding around it. And we have the domain. So we're going to go with tf7radio.com. So that's where you can find a new site. And once you're there, if you hit the subscribe tab, it's going to take you right to the other eight playback mediums that we have. And, and everything, every, every, the other eight mediums that TF7 Radio was currently aired on is right there. All you got to do is hit a button. It's all right there for you folks. Go to the subscribe tab, and all you got to do is click on your favorite social media button right there. It takes you right to the TF7 page of, of the playback medium of your choice. And whether it's iTunes or Google Play, we're on Stitcher, player.fm. Player you know, we're on Overcast and Listen Notes and, of course, Home Base over there at Voice America. It really becomes easy to find the playback medium that you prefer or choose a new one if you want to. Maybe you'll find one that you like better. So all in all, there are nine different options to get your TF7 radio fixed. We're everywhere, folks. You can't miss us. If you Google Task Force 7 Radio, you'll get all your options. Check us out, TF7 Radio Playback, at your convenience 24-7, 365, anytime anywhere around the globe. And please, please, please don't forget to subscribe. We just, we love it when you subscribe. So we have another great show for you this week. We got none other than Adriana Sanford is going to be on the show with us this evening. Shifting gears a little bit from last week to talk about cybersecurity and privacy issues in a way that really no one else can. I mean, she is just you know, amazing when it comes to this space. Many of you listen to the show no, Adriana. Adriana Sanford is a Chilean-American author, international TV commentator, Georgetown-educated international lawyer, professor, internationally recognized private cybersecurity scholar, and a humanitarian. She's a regularly featured subject matter expert on CNN Dinero, on CNN and Espanol, that's Network's 24-hour Spanish-language television broadcasting to more than 24 million viewers in the United States and throughout Latin America. 
And just like we did with Dr. Rebecca Wynn's appearance on the show a few weeks ago, we like to coordinate our guest appearances with upcoming speaking events that they have coming up on their schedule. So Adriana will be featured as a guest speaker at this year's RSA conference. So her session is entitled, What You Need to Know About Cybersecurity Landscape and Cybersecurity Cases, and, and it's all from a legal perspective. So it's really cool. It's stuff that really no one else is talking about in a lot of sense. You hear a lot of new things. So you're going to hear a lot of new things on the show tonight, I would imagine. She'll be speaking on March 6th at 1040 a.m. if you're looking to register for the session and if you're going to be at the conference. So uh, if I was going to go to the conference, I'd tell you this is a great session to attend. She's also going to be the keynote speaker at a wonderful upcoming event at Pepperdine University. She's going to be speaking at Pepperdine's 2019 Annual Spring Accounting Banquet on March 26th. So as part of the Seaver Business College team over there, Dr. Sanford has taught business law and business ethics, and she's also has taught business law and cybersecurity law and privacy at Loyola University. And so two big speaking events coming up for Dr. Sanford, first at RSA conference in, in March and also then at Pepperdine University next month as well. And she's doing a whole bunch of workshops around the country. I think she's doing Chicago, Las Vegas, I mean, she has a lot of speaking events coming up between now and June. I mean, too many to name, but, you know, she's definitely going to hit the circuit. And uh, if you get a chance, I would definitely check her out. She's, she's a great speaker. She's been on the, on the show a few times with us, and I'm really looking forward to, to the, tonight's uh, interview. Also, this is a great time to give a shout-out to all my favorite students at both Pepperdine and Loyola Universities, two fantastic schools with super smart student bodies. And, yes, you can also see the Pacific Ocean from Loyola University as well. So that's an inside joke of you for those of you who have listened to the previous episodes. But in all seriousness, thank you so much for listening and supporting the show out there. I really appreciate you guys. I hope to do a live show out there and uh, meet you all in person sometime real soon. So keep up the good work uh, that you're doing. And, uh, you know, really appreciate all the support on the Pacific Coast from Pepperdine and Loyola. Thanks so much. So I'm really excited to have Adriana back on the show to talk about cybersecurity and privacy issues in a way that no one else can. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Adriana Sanford. Adriana, welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio. Thanks, George. It's always a pleasure to be on with you. <laughs> so, Adriana, I want to jump right into the topic right out of the gate into this first segment because there's so much to talk about on this episode, and we only have a, a short hour to do it, and I want to squeeze in as much as we possibly can. So this is a global show. And I want to compare how other countries are handling their privacy issues to how we are reacting to these huge issues here in the United States. And I want to start with France because there are some interesting contrasts to make and give people something to think about in terms of what people are doing in France and what the laws and rules look like as compared to what we're doing here in the United States. So first, could you benchmark a little bit for us? Could you tell us a little bit about the privacy rules and laws in France as you know them today? Sure, George. They have actually more stringent rules than we do in the United States. And uh, this has actually caused a lot of issues for our companies. The notion of privacy in France is not defined under French law. And as I think many of your listeners know, in Europe, they have a basic fundamental right to privacy. Of course, that includes France. So what is privacy? Well, 
privacy, according to their courts, is something that needs to be protected and includes just about everything. It, it includes your personal life. It includes your professional life. It includes the property, you know, what you own. It includes your health. And this to them is very, very important. If you remember, or if you recall a while back, they actually had a new law that came out that basically covered social media platforms and uh, putting pictures of your children, uh, posting photos of your children on these platforms. It's illegal. It's actually a child can sue their parents for posting photos on Instagram. So how, it's very, very different. Up to what, 17 years old? up until they're adults. And so in the United States, sometimes we think we're going to make our children famous online. Well, yeah. under, under France's uh, laws, under French law, it's illegal to do so. So their way, their culture, and their way of looking at privacy and protecting their children is very, very different from ours. And the same thing with regards towards our tech companies. The approach that they take with them is a lot more stringent than, than we do in the United States. So if you post a, a photo of your child, your child's, you know, seven years old, you know, let's say six years old, a young child, and you're playing with them or you're, you know, at a baseball game or something, and you post a photo of that, you can actually get, you know, is it a criminal penalty or is it, what kind of penalty? Is it? it is. It can be criminal. It can be, and the child can sue you. So <laughs> it's an issue, and, and, and the, the reason being is what they say is that whatever you're posting, that child it does not have the ability to stop it. And later on, that can affect them in their life. That can affect them in their career. So you don't have a right as a parent to put them out there. And, and keep in mind that our social media platforms are constantly changing. They're, they rapidly change. I mean, Facebook was really where everybody was posting. Now it's become Instagram. And Instagram's a big one, and it's now being commercialized. So you really don't know, you know, these posts that you're doing may be innocent, right. but you don't know where they'll end up later. And for those of you who are sure. on Instagram, I don't know if you realize this, but you know, you're allowed to pick who you follow. But if you look closely at your list, I have a very short list. People are added in and all of a sudden I'm following 50 people instead of 30. And I'm like, wait, I never chose to follow them. So there's something quirky going on there. Um, if you're on Instagram, take a look at who you're following and see if people are being added into your list. Hmm. This is a concern. We don't know, you know, there's breaches all the time. And I think the French uh, culture really wants to protect those children. Right, right. Well, I, you know, you bring up an interesting point that I don't think a lot of people think about. You know, that, that child doesn't have a, a, a say into what happens to those photos. And later on in life, they could be used in a variety of different ways, I guess, if they're identified in the photo, which I don't think most people do, but maybe they do. I don't know. And well, maybe they share with their friends, though. I mean, if, if, it's, if it's private, does it make a difference? Or if it's public on Facebook, for instance? No, it, it's the same. You're not allowed, period. And, and this is an interesting concept because let's say that the parents, one is American and one is actually a French citizen. And uh, what the grandparents, the American grandparents may be posting. Well, that child has dual citizenship and therefore is protected by this law. Wow. So it can cause all sorts of issues because your American grandparents may have no knowledge. And especially with the way the whole system works, you know, this is brand new for them. So the fact that they're on social media, that they are on Facebook is already a big deal. And to tell them, you know, are you aware of these laws and those laws? 
you know, it's something that a lot of people are not aware of, and these multi-jurisdictional conflicts exist. Well, I've got to tell you, I wasn't aware of it, and, uh, you know, it gave me some food for thought, but um, let, well, let's, talk, let's talk about some of the businesses, too. I mean, how, can you provide some of, some of the examples of how tough France's laws are in terms of tech companies, maybe United States tech companies, doing business there? What kind of approach do they take, are they taking with the tech companies right now? Because, I mean, sure, I can't imagine, this is, you know, it's well, probably, this, right? Right. And this is why, you know, if you take a look at the big picture after the Snowden revelations, what happened? Why did our tech companies all of a sudden take a step back? Why did we find them in contempt of court here in the United States? Why weren't they cooperating? If you take a look, what was happening is across the Atlantic, all of a sudden, when they realized that their privacy had been infringed upon because they have the basic fundamental right to privacy, which is a human right, their approach was if you continue to do this, you can't do business in our countries. Uh, we're talking way back when, before GDPR came out. So all of a sudden, these tech companies, and we in the United States have, you know, obviously some of the biggest in the world. This is, this is the hub. So this was a very, very big concern. Now, if we start looking at the different countries separately, yes, they're all under EU law, and EU was very upset with what had happened with the Snowden revelations, but each one of these countries can then tweak and make their laws a little more stringent. They can't take away, but they can make their laws more stringent than the overall overarching um, regulation. And that's what happened with France. So if you start to take a look at how our tech companies have been doing in France, you will notice that the big ones have a lot of fines and there are a lot of lawsuits coming up. Um, and a lot of concern because some of it is not only civil, we're looking also at criminal charges that could could actually affect those executives. And we could end up with executives in jail. So this is serious. And big companies like Apple and Google and Facebook, it's a concern. So do the, do the parents go to jail if they post the photo? Is, it, is, is there like, a, is there jail uh, implications, other than incarceration, other than just fines? Oh, I don't know. I don't know the details of that one. I mean, certainly if you've got a child that is a dual citizen or you've got, you know, you're, you're taking pictures of French children, you should do your due diligence. You should look at that a little bit closer. But yes, there are criminal charges. I don't know what they've done as far as inf enforcing them. It's, it's relatively new. It's only been out there for a couple of years, but you definitely want to, you want to check that out. Now, now with regards to our tech companies, we can look, if you'd like, at what it was like before GDPR and basically what we're seeing today after GDPR. Well, wait, before, before, and I want to get to that, and I want to get to that, but I just want to, you know, I want to talk about the implications here of violating some of these uh, regulatory laws because I got to tell you, I don't think a lot of people think about this stuff. So the parents could possibly go to jail. We'll look that up. We'll see what happens with that, but it's definitely against the law. But for the tech companies, are they just face, facing these hefty fines? I mean, you mentioned there's criminal liability there. They could possibly go to jail in, in some of these bigger, you know, in some of these bigger companies that are doing business out there, some of the, the bigger targets. Some of these senior executives could get jail time, right? Is that right? Right, right. Not, I don't know about the privacy side, but I do know for some of the actions that these tech companies are taking, the way the United States looks at it and the way France looks at it is very, very different. One of those is with regards to this planned obsolescence. Remember that Apple had basically um, with an issue with regards to slowing down yep. their iPhones? Yes. Well, that issue 
in 2008, basically, we're looking at Apple. There's new laws in France outlawing gadgets that are designed with limited liability, uh, with limited life uh, lifetimes, lifespans. And there's a criminal lawsuit out there. Um, it can take, it can jail executives and 5% of their income uh, is, is, is basically what the fine is if they're convicted. So... Uh, no, no, no. For 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 that time, there's. Uh, that I don't know the details again. That needs to be right. If this is you and you're having this issue, maybe because you 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 work with the iPhones or your uh-huh. or these batteries, you know, you, that you don't replace or light bulbs. You know, there's a whole bunch of areas where there is. Um, right. So these engineers program these iPhones to go, you know, basically slow down to like ten percent. I'm exaggerating here. I really don't know what it is, but they slow down to. Uh, a significant amount, you know, towards uh, the end of this life period where they're going to come out with new iPhones that they want you to buy. So is the engineer, the engineer is also responsible? How many people could they hold responsible? Anybody involved in the in the slowing uh, down of this? Uh, yeah, I don't know. And that's coming out. So we, yeah. this is a brand new case. Crazy. And what I, what I can tell you is that we don't have national laws that prohibit this planned obsolescence in the U.S. So heads up. This is big out there. This is big in France. And the reason it's big is because they don't want this waste and overconsumption. So in the United States, I can understand, you know, they, you know, companies want you to buy the newest product. And, you know, this is maybe a way that they've been doing it. We have laws in the United States. Um, the Consumer Product Safety Commission can issue durability standards if it wishes. And the governments can impose these mandated warranties like they do on seatbelts. You know, seatbelts, you have five years or 50,000 miles. Right. You, the government can take steps, but we don't have a law that prohibits this planned obsolescence at this point. That so this be- is really interesting. I mean, is there a case in France, do you know, against Apple specifically, or are there just cases against different companies for this type of similar behavior? Well, there is a case against Apple right now, and there's also a case in the United States. It's not under planned obsolescence per se, but it's the same exact issue. Uh, as of December of uh, 2017, there were some suits filed in California, New York, and Illinois, and they're seeking a class action to represent all users all over the world on this issue. Um, Apple says, hey, we had fine print disclaimers, and the other side says, well, yeah, but under contract law, you were deceptive. You conceal things, and you didn't act in good faith. So I now I'm, you know, we don't provide legal advice, and you really need you know, I'm, I'm kind of giving a very short uh, summary of what's going on, but these are issues out there. The United States, some of our states actually require actual intent, and you'd have to prove that Apple really wanted to induce consumers to get rid of their phones prematurely. Uh, Apple says, no, that wasn't the case. Apple's says, basically, we were concerned that their phones could end quickly uh, without their knowledge and therefore these updates were a way of slowing that down that process so that that wouldn't happen so you you have to look at both sides um what i do um my concern though is if we look at it the way that france is looking at it and there are laws out there saying outlawing gadgets that are designed with this limited uh, lifespan there's some issues. Uh, the European Economic and Social Committee has said they are banning built-in defects that cause products to expire. Uh, and, and, and rather than doing that, these companies need to look to offer replacements um, and more information about these lifespans so that users, consumers can have more informed decisions as to whether or not to buy these products. 
So, so this so, is an area that you definitely want to pay attention to. And uh, if you're interested in this area, you need to do more work and, 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 you know, and study it more in depth. But we have a difference of uh, the way we're handling this um, in the United States and under French law. No doubt. This is pretty fascinating. So are there any other areas in the cybersecurity space where we're experiencing a growing compliance and, and regulatory scrutiny gap between what's going on? over in, say, the EU and what's going on in the United States? Yeah, well, there are, there are a few of them, actually. Um, there was also with regards to search ad policies and the policies and procedures for blocking certain ads. Um, in the United States, you know, basically, Google said that they do this because um, their policy prohibits ads uh, for services that can be obtained for free or low cost by the government or other public sources. and that's the way Google has dealt with these issues, and the French regulators are saying, um, no, we think that Google has engaged in anti-competitive behavior, or they're not saying that, but this is what the concern is. So again, with regards to search ad policies, you need to look at that. With regards to your terms and conditions, Facebook actually got into trouble with that issue. Um, I think that was in Germany. We'll have to look at that. But in Europe in general, you want to look at your terms and conditions and what you're saying to your users. That's really, really big. And with regards to gadgets and things like this, uh, another hot area in France is the abusive app developer uh, practices. Um, right now, they're looking at Google and Apple and whether they're going to impose millions of uh, millions of euros in penalties for conditions that they believe are onerous and uh, against um, startups. They, they said that basically these companies want developers to sell apps with, uh, when they want to sell apps with, uh, with Google or Apple, they have to pay fees. And they're concerned about those fees and whether those fees are actually onerous. So again, these are areas where Companies might want to take another look and say, well, are we doing this, you know, and what are the penalties? How big are they? Uh, is there a way to, um, to handle this that might be more appropriate, especially in these countries? Excellent. So, Adriana, we've got to take a little time to go to a commercial break, but we're right back to talk more about these privacy issues and, and GDPR and how that's affecting the marketplace, in your opinion. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on LinkedIn by searching at Task Force 7 Radio and on Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, as well as other business communications, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm super stoked about this network, folks. We just signed Mr. Chris Kenworthy, a very well-established cybersecurity executive with an extensive history of helping bring cybersecurity companies to market and profitability, all with huge successful exits, as the new president and CEO of Task Force 7. That's right. Chris Kenworthy is the new president and COO of Task Force 7, and although we announced it last week on social media, I want to send out our huge welcome to him on the show as well. I'm so excited to have Chris as a member of the executive team and a new chief operating officer, Andy Benillo, the chief innovation officer and the other co-founder with me of Task Force 7. 
Andy is really super stoked about this. We see this as a huge development because it's right in line with our strategy and our timeline, which we've both given a lot of thought to. So a lot of great things here to come for Task Force 7 Networks. We really need this capability in our cybersecurity space. So uh, I just for clarification, I got, to, I got a guy telling me in the headphones that I said CEO once. <laughs> so this, it, just for clarification, Chris is our COO, the Chief Operating Officer of TF7. So welcome to the team, Chris. I really appreciate you, man. We're going to do great things together. Stay tuned over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, folks. I promise you, Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for a few minutes from words from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, cybersecurity legal expert and CNN analyst and contributor, Dr. Adriana Sanford. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Recorded Future helps security teams make more confident decisions faster. Recorded Future's technology automates broad collection and analysis of cyber threat data and delivers the rich external context you need to understand alerts and emerging threats. With real-time threat intelligence from Recorded Future, security teams respond to threats 63% faster and find undetected threats 10 times quicker. Recorded Future integrates with the security products you already use, making the intelligence you need accessible and relevant. Use it to improve your security operations, incident response, vulnerability management, and more. If you're facing challenges like the cybersecurity skills shortage or more alerts than your team can handle, Consider Recorded Future Threat Intelligence. Learn more at recordedfuture.com forward slash task force seven. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. 
I'm here with our special guest, cybersecurity legal expert and CNN analyst and contributor, Dr. Adriana Sanford. So Adriana, I want to jump right back into it on this episode, this segment. I don't want to waste any time. Uh, there, there are many listeners out there right now that are struggling with GDPR. And there's a lot, and it's for a variety of different reasons. Um, could you discuss any developments or cases in this realm that might help them? And also, do you have any advice to these privacy professionals on how to prioritize their efforts to comply with this new law? Sure. It really depends on industry and what they're doing overseas and which countries they're in. This should be a concern because what we're seeing right now is we're seeing GDPR violations and they're relatively untested. We don't know how strong enforcement will be. It depends on the country. Um, it also depends on what approach you're going to take. Are they going to consider this a violation? Just because one country considers it a violation of GDPR, it doesn't mean that another one will. Uh, so this should be a concern. If we take a back, if we take a step back and 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 look at what. I would say are, is the big picture um, under GDPR is basically what we're looking for is transparency, uh, consent, uh, so the right information, the proper information to provide to consumers and users, and and informed consent. We need to make sure that these users are given the option to to say yes or to say no. Uh, if you look at what was happening right before GDPR came into effect, GDPR came into effect in May of 2018. Right before that, some of these countries were giving a heads up and saying, we're not going to tolerate online breaches of privacy rules. Uh, one of those cases was actually the case against Google in, in France, and they were hit with a $5.7 million uh, fine because they basically, what the, what the court said was that they failed to obtain consent for personalized ads, and there was not a lot of clarity uh, in the way they were informing their users on how to handle the personal data. Now, keep in mind, at that time, this was actually one of the biggest fines towards a U.S. tech company in this realm. Today, it can be a heck of a lot larger because right now, if a, a violation under GDPR can cost up to 4% of the annual gross revenue. So, so this was like a little snapshot of what was going to happen, what was about to happen. Uh, it wasn't only France that jumped quickly and, and, and started saying, hey, we're heading towards GDPR. Right. Uh, gonna... Belgium, Belgium did the same thing in February. Yeah, I, you know, I say this is a new, I said it was a new law. It's not a new law. It obviously came out in May of last year, but the consequences for the law are new for a lot of people. And I guess, you know, that's like the, you know, that's what's sort of like, uh, I don't know, the shock well, factor, the shock and Right. And you're right, George. It's GDPR is evolving. It's branching out into areas that people had no idea. And so you are correct in saying this is hot and this is new, because I think everybody out there kind of understood the, you know, the the basics of uh, the right to be forgotten and to have a data security officer, data a data privacy officer, and all these different things, the the notice and whatnot. But areas that they really 
didn't plan on exploring or thinking uh, were going to be a problem are now emerging. And, and that's really what's concerning these tech companies. For example, one of them, you know, I, I, mentioned, uh, I mentioned Facebook I, and I mentioned Google and I mentioned Apple, but this covers a lot more than just that. This covers any company that's doing business in or with EU citizens or, or, or somehow has a connection with these citizens. And the areas where we're seeing issues are not only in Europe, it's also in Australia. Uh, I'll give you an example. In Australia, recently, just now in 2018, they were looking at the autocomplete feature that Google has. This is something that most people would say, well, they can't control it. It's automatically produced by algorithms. Well, guess what? In Australia, they said if this autocomplete feature links to defamatory content or, or, or says something. In this particular case, this poor man, you would type in his name and uh, basically it would say a criminal, part of the underworld, which he was not. But for some reason, because he was involved, he was shot in the back and all these, you know, the, the facts you guys can go into. Basically, it was when, when you would start to type his name, the autocomplete feature was saying that he was uh, uh, a criminal. The court said, you know what, you can sue Google. So these are areas where companies may not necessarily think that they can be sued because in the United States they cannot. Our laws in the United States on defamation, basically, it's very hard to prove. It's under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. And from what we have seen in the United States, websites are not liable for comments made uh, by their users, and they are not responsible for content uh, links and basically they're absolved from comments and content because it's not in their control. If we look at the United States, it's much less friendlier towards the plaintiff than the EU countries, and that's because of the, our First Amendment. So internet providers, you know, such as hosting companies, websites, and developers in the United States really don't have a lot of stringent rules. You have to prove that the act was done with negligence, um, especially like in California law, they say, you know, uh, each, each state has different rules. But basically, it's going to be really, really hard to bring a case here. Not so in other countries, in France, in Belgium, um, you know, in these other countries, in especially right now in Australia, everybody's looking at that and saying, wow. Also, if you're linking, if you're, if you're putting something out there and it links to defamatory content, even if it wasn't anything you did, let's say you had no control over the reports that were made by, by other, the comments by other people, in Australia, you actually can be held liable for defamation as a internet service provider. So, I, you know, th I think this is such a hot topic because the hammer could drop at any time on a variety of different companies here that aren't used to having to comply with these restrictions. Is, is that what it is? I mean, that's, what, that's why this is getting so much attention, right? Was the consequences of, of non-compliance, which is heavy duty. Am I wrong? The consequences for non-compliance are huge. Also, remember, we're in the era now of fake news. Uh, we have fake news out there. Well, that fake news, is it false information? In Europe, you have the right to be forgotten. Well, the right to be forgotten is anything that's out there, uh, they're saying now maybe 10 years or older, that's no longer relevant or important. Well, the people that are suing under the right to be forgotten are also suing about defamatory 
content. So this is like an area, there was a lawsuit in Germany, and, and, and this is where I show you that there are differences depending on the country. I can't tell you every, every industry and every country is going to be the same way. Uh, in Germany, in 2008, there, was, uh, there were two people under the right to be forgotten that sued, and basically because Google, uh, their websites were linking to offensive uh, content. And Google, in that particular case, was not held responsible, and they were not held that they needed to examine the websites for offensive content. So it just depends on the country. Um, and they're not all going to handle these cases and these GDPR alleged violations the same way. Look at the UK. The UK basically said, uh, with regards to an individual that had actually done a criminal offense, but it was 10 years ago, and he was remorseful, they said his information had the right to be deleted. So we are looking, and these countries are basically doing a case-by-case -case basis, uh, looking at each one of these particular situations. That's huge. Uh, between, I was going to say, um, between France and, I want to say, Germany and the UK, they, Google had over 2.4 million requests for deletions. I mean, this is big, and if we're doing case-by-case you know, analysis, it's going to really tie up a lot of people. So, I mean, how, many, how are companies going to address these important privacy issues when there are so many competing rules, not only from country to country? Right now we're talking about, you know, almost from continent to continent, and country to country gets really sophisticated. But then it's even from state to state in the United States. I mean, it's out of control. I mean, putting this all together is a huge cost for companies, huge, right? It's a huge cost, and I'm hoping that the that we will have some uniformity. Uh, we don't have that right now in this country, and the concern is how do companies address all of this? You really need to take a step back and be extremely conservative because you don't know who's going to hit you from where. The laws continue to change and evolve, and the courts with their uh, rulings are changing things for these companies. So, it's, it's a very, very hot area. Another one which we are seeing out there and basically uh, European consumer groups of seven different countries are accusing Google of violating privacy because of their uh, location tracking. Um, they're saying that they basically you could log off and you are still being tracked because there were some other settings that, that uh, enable them to still track even if... Uh, if they thought that they weren't, um, even if users opted not to. There was a second setting in the web and app activity, which enabled by default uh, for them to track, and that needed to be turned off to prevent full GPS tracking. That right there in EU caused issues. So you see these, you know, these differences and these gaps between EU and the United States, and it's even from state to state. You said you think there's going to be some uniformity there. I mean, do you see signs of, you know, discussions happening, productive discussions happening about the uniformity of some of these regulations in the United States to make it more, to make it easier for companies to comply with these types of regulations? Well, what I'm seeing are these tech companies are talking among themselves and saying, well, this is an issue and that's an issue. And if they basically can get together, I think we will see some uniformity because the private sector has a lot of power and they have the role, you know, that they're in there, they're experiencing this. Nobody wants our executives to go to jail. 
Um, we saw this in Brazil when the Facebook executive uh, went to jail uh, for, Latin, for the director of Latin America. And it wasn't even, it was an, it had to do with the um, extraterritorial searches. And it was in WhatsApp. Uh, the Brazilian government wanted information from WhatsApp. And basically what they did was they went after the Facebook exec. So nobody wants our executives to go to jail. And especially the tech companies. They don't, they, this is, it's in their interest to, uh, to push for more uniformity. And we need to have more of a predictability of results out there. Especially in the, when we're dealing with multi-jurisdictional concerns. So are you seeing certain countries where you're seeing more complaints than others right now? Well, we're seeing a lot of complaints coming from France. We're seeing a lot coming from Belgium. And we're starting to see changes in Australia that are causing a lot of concerns. Uh, but don't forget, we also have Ireland. You know, Ireland, they basically went after the, um, the case, what was it, in, in October 2018, they are investigating Facebook for that security breach. It was a 50 million, 50 million users uh, had their accounts compromised. And Ireland said that they would go after that. So they want to make sure that our companies are handling um, their defaults and, 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 and being responsible. And if they're not, even our security breaches even those breaches they're going to be fined for. We just recently saw that Cambridge Analytica, remember that scandal? Yeah. The United Kingdom in July of 2008 um, issued a fine, and the fine was, I think, $660,000 against Facebook. They're appealing it now because basically Facebook says, hey, there were no U UK citizens affected. But, um, but that's popping up, and we're also seeing in the United States, it's not the same. They're not suing under the same, but they're suing under the same scandals. The um, D.C. Attorney General uh, is suing Facebook. That was in December. Um, so that was just now. And they're saying that Facebook had lax privacy standards. So it's starting to pop up a little bit more in the United States. This is the first major government action taken against um, Facebook over this incident. So we're starting to see changes here. We're starting to see the same thing with regards to monopolies, antitrust actions. They're popping up in Europe, and we're starting to see some actions here in the United States. So we may see some changes. So let me ask you, I mean, you mentioned Belgium, France, and some other countries. Is it that these countries have stricter laws? Is that why you're getting the complaints? Or they just have stricter interpretation or enforcement of the same type of laws that exist other, other places in the EU? It depends. What what I'm seeing is it depends on the cultures, right. and the the French culture values privacy. Um, so it's a strict enforcement in some respects. Therefore, it's exactly exactly. Yeah. So I, I would say it depends on the culture, and knowing a little bit more about the countries, you can kind of uh, determine um, where they will go. Belgium is one of those countries as well that really values their privacy. Because yeah, I think some of these laws now just really give, you know, the government the, uh, the authority to really drop the hammer on some of these companies. But, hey, Jaron, we've got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with the cybersecurity legal expert and CNN analyst and contributor, Dr. Adriana Sanford. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Recorded Future helps security teams make more confident decisions faster. Recorded Future's technology automates broad collection and analysis of cyber threat data and delivers the rich external context you need to understand alerts and emerging threats. With real-time threat intelligence from Recorded Future, security teams respond to threats 63% faster and find undetected threats 10 times quicker. Recorded Future integrates with the security products you already use, making the intelligence you need accessible and relevant. Use it to improve your security operations, incident response, vulnerability management, and more. If you're facing challenges like the cybersecurity skills shortage or more alerts than your team can handle, consider Recorded Future Threat Intelligence. Learn more at recordedfuture.com forward slash task force seven. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with our special guest, cybersecurity legal expert and CNN analyst and contributor, Dr. Adriana Sanford. So, Adriana, I kind of want to pick up where we left off, and I just kind of want to talk a little bit about how companies are handling these issues in the United States uh, right now. I mean, they see this coming down the pike. They see that they're having problems uh, in other countries. Are they addressing the issue just for that country, just to do business in that country? Are they actually addressing the entire issue as it even pertains to the United States, even though there might not be, you know, penalties or sanctions or laws in place right now that require them to do so? Well, it depends, I think, on the company. But for some of these multinationals, it would be very, very difficult to do it country per country specific, especially like, a you know, a company like Facebook, where their users are all over the world. You can't really have them focus on country by country. They have to focus on all the users. So for a big company like that, I, you know, I, I don't work for any of these companies, so I can't tell you exactly what's going on internally. But what I suspect is they've got somebody taking a look at the big picture because as we continue to go through this process, more and more companies 
countries out there are going to be amending their laws and some will be adopting the GDPR or variations therefrom. So we are looking at how they match up. And if you have a GDPR framework, these companies are going to have to look and see, okay, here's a new country with new laws. You really need people internally to be uh, focused on this issue because it's something that requires an extensive amount of monitoring. Which countries are popping up? Which ones do we need to match up? Are our policies matching up? Are our standards matching? And are we taking a closer look at our terms and conditions and the terms of services and what we're offering our users? The biggest thing out there right now, I think, is anytime you're working um, in this in this space, you need to take a look at, you know, your cookies. Are you informing them when you're when 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 you've got these, you know, do you have invisible pixels and 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 cookies to third party sites where you're gathering information? Anytime you are getting information, personal information from anyone, whether it's through your own business or through tracking or using third parties, you need to make sure that you are informing those individuals and properly informing them because even if in the United States it's not an issue, you're going to find yourself in this situation. And if you're a big company, you're going to probably want to do this for everybody. So the benefit of this is a lot of our uh, U.S. citizens are going to be reaping the benefits of more privacy protections because other countries are stepping up and uh, and having these uh, stringent laws. I have to think from a business perspective, I mean, these companies have to do a business and impact analysis to see if it's cost effective to address the entire problem at once or they're going to fix this piecemeal as things come out and almost they're forced to do it. You know, the optics are really bad if you're forced to do it. Like we're not going to do it unless we're forced to. And, you know, and, and look, it's, it's about money and it's, it's, you know, they're going to think in terms of money, they're, they're always going to act in probably the, the economic best interest, but there's an ethical piece to this too. And, um, you know, I think that has to be considered. But now when we start getting into, you know, what are the effects of these new laws like GDPR are in general, well, let's talk about the data breaches. I mean, does the situation seem to get be getting better with the implementation of GDPR? I know it hasn't been a long that around that long, right? It's only been here since May, since the law was implemented. But in the scheme of things in the privacy and compliance space, it could be considered a very short time to see how people are actually adjusting and moving and transitioning into, into compliance, we should say. But how long is it going to take for this law to have an impact on the number of breaches we see, if and ever it, it does at all? Well, I think it's already having an impact, and especially with regards to the security breaches, because right now, um, even with this new, the newest breach uh, that occurred uh, in the UK, you need to give notice almost immediately within, I think it's 72 hours. So if there is a hack, uh, immediately you have to come forward. That's something that before companies were not doing. So that's making a major difference for us. Well, I guess that's the way they respond to the breaches in some respect. I was trying to think about how some of these... Oh, laws, to avoid them. <laughs> yeah, actually to avoid them altogether, but it well, doesn't seem to have much of an impact right now on prevention, but the response is obviously, you know, mandated in the way that it wasn't outlined before, right? Well, it is also having a, it is having an effect because we are looking, like right now, I just, uh, in the United States in December of last year, the D.C. Attorney General is 
suing Cambridge, uh, I'm sorry, suing Facebook over the Cambridge Analytica scandal. And one of the, the items that they're alleging in the suit is that the privacy standards were laxed at Facebook. And so we are looking at basically companies that have so much data, so much information, and, you know, what are their standards? Are they strong enough to deter breaches? And if they're not, they're going to be hit. They're going to be hit with lawsuits. When you look at a comparison between the EU and the U.S., do you think that United States regulators are feeling the pressure to up their game to, uh, you know, sort of catch up in some respects to their EU counterparts? Oh, I absolutely. I think so. And I think, you know, like this lawsuit is basically saying that the company was lax with regards to their standards around third party apps and partner companies. And that's how the leak happened. So these issues are really developing now in this country. And I, I do think that it has something to do with with what's going on in the rest of the world. So, but that's my opinion. <laughs> so what do you see happening for 2019 in the, in the privacy and compliance space? What do, you, what do you think are the big things that are going to happen? Well, I think more companies are going to uh, have training in this area. They're going to offer trainings to their employees and make sure that everybody understands the implications um, of breaches. They're also going to have more stringent rules and regulations within the internally. Because, for example, some of these countries – if there is a breach, like in the UK, for certain breaches, if you've got employees that are rogue employees and decide to give out information and leak before they leave or after they leave, you can be held vicariously liable in the UK. So these companies have to be careful and have to take the proper safeguards within their company to make sure that even their own employees, if they turn on them, don't give out this information. So that's what we're seeing for 2019 is there is going to be more of an emphasis on this and certainly more of an emphasis on what are these multi-jurisdictional concerns? Which ones are out there? Which ones affect us? How can we handle it? How can we take this back to our board? Who needs to be seated at the management table to deal with these issues? All of this is going to take a very, very strong, um, a very, a, all of this is going to have a strong effect on these companies going forward for 2019. So we got time for one more question, Adriana, and I just, you know, I just throw it out there. Any last thoughts or concerns that you want to share with our audience on cybersecurity or privacy or compliance laws, anything you want to, you want to mention that think that is uh, well, important? I guess if I had to mention something, I would just say that you need to be very, very careful and that this, what we're seeing right now, this um, jungle of laws and regulations and proceedings and whatnot that we have in the cyberspace that we're experiencing also exists with regards to corruption. And the laws are being amended and changed with regards to how corruption and fraud uh, is also being handled. So if you're going to be cleaning house and figuring out how and where you may have some multi-jurisdictional concerns in the cyberspace, you might at the same time say, what are we doing with fraud? What are we doing with the UK Bribery Act? The FCPA is not enough anymore. So we've got issues there. We also have issues with our with um, where laws are conflicting with regards to our in-house counsel, our general counsel, and how they may face criminal liability abroad for something that they're doing in this country that's legal or they're forced to do and somewhere else 
it actually creates a dilemma for them. So multi-jurisdictional concerns are not only in the cyber world. Multi-jurisdictional concerns and these conflicts that exist between laws exist in other areas as well. So your company really needs to take a step back. And if you're going to do housekeeping or house cleaning, take a look at these other areas as well. Adriana, thanks so much for coming on the show again. It's always a pleasure to have you. Appreciate it. Thanks, George. Love being on the show. Hey, we're out of time, folks. Before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 